Hello, hello, leading woman in tech. How are you doing? I hope you're doing splendidly. I hope February is turning into a spectacular month. I've got a real treat for you today. I'm talking to Erin Fruzero, who is a VP of engineering, and I'm so excited to talk to her about her performance-driven leadership, but that is very much about people-first leadership as well. I can't wait to bring this episode to you. But before we do that, I just want to have a little bit of a chat about what we've got coming around here. As you can probably tell by now, I am loving the theme we've got right now of bringing on women in engineering leadership to come and talk and showcase what they're doing to rise up to be extraordinary leaders. I would love to know if you are finding this interesting, if you're finding it useful. I'm loving these conversations and I'm doing it because I feel like I wish I'd had more role models early on in my career. And there are so many extraordinary women out there that I feel like it's good to get these women in front of you. But I would love to know what you're thinking. So whether you're on LinkedIn, whether you're in my Leading Women in Tech Slack community, if you're not, by the way, why aren't you? <laughs> Link is in the show notes for that community. Then just drop me a DM or just put a general comment. Do not mind. I'd love to know what you're enjoying about the show this year so far and what you'd like more of. But let's dive straight on in to having a chat with Erin. Erin is a VP of Engineering at Chipica. She is an accomplished and, as I've already said, performance-driven senior engineering executive. She has 13 years of diverse technology experience, eight years of data and analytics leadership expertise, and she has always worked in dynamic technology environments. She possesses a proven track record of building world-class engineering teams, and that is what she's doing right now, as what she's going to be talking about with us today. And she thrives in both the startup and enterprise-scaled business environments. And more than anything, she's about transformational change. But before I get ahead of myself, let's welcome her onto the show. You're listening to the Leading Woman in Tech podcast, where we talk about real leadership and what this means for the world of tech, the techniques, tips, and strategies you can use to become a standout leader. I'm your host, Tony Collis, tech leadership coach, strategist, and coffee lover. And in each episode, I share my best insights designed to make your success not just simple, but inevitable. Whether you're on the way to the C-suite, an emerging leader, or a budding entrepreneur, this is the podcast you need to become a lit-up leader and turn your tech passion into a career you love. Welcome to the show, Erin. It's really great to have you on Leading Women in Tech. Thank you. I'm really excited to chat today. Well, let's start out with my probably my favorite question, the question I ask all the exceptional women I have on the show, and you are definitely one of them. Can you share a little bit of your personal story, career history, and how you came to work as a vice president of engineering at Chippecash? Yeah. Um, so I'm originally from uh, the Northeast. Right now I'm in Atlanta, Georgia, and I'm originally from Boston um, and grew up in Connecticut. Uh, I went to the University of Connecticut. And one of the things that I think folks, it surprises folks since I've uh, been in tech for so long now, is I do not have a degree in computer science. I'm an English uh, major. So when I was going to school, uh, in high school, there was no push for diversity in tech. Uh, this was well before the Twitter of the world and, um, and all the hashtags and the, the movements that we have now. Um, in retrospect, it was kind of obvious that I probably should have gone to school for it. Um, my high school homeroom was actually the computer lab. Um, and, (laughs) 
and shout out to that uh, that teacher who would come every morning and open up the computer lab just for me to sit there uh, before classes to tinker around on the computers. Um, and most of my electives in college were computer science, but um, it never occurred to me that computer science was something that I could move into. Um, my first uh, tech adjacent job out of college was as a technical writer for a, a big company called Konica Minolta. Um, it turned out that tech writing was deeply boring. Um, I, I could not do that for very long. And so while I was there, I was picking up other things from the IT folks that I worked with. Um, and uh, some of the uh, engineers that I worked with said, you know, Aaron, you're really smart. You could learn to code. And I said, great, let's do that. Um, because I was falling asleep just writing technical documents all day. And, and they did. They taught me how to code. And uh, I was hooked. And uh, I approached programming, I think, similar to how uh, I approached language. And it was just communication, uh, but communication with machines. Um, and actually fairly... Uh, more straightforward than communicating with people. Um, so I really picked up uh, just programming, software engineering pretty quickly. Um, my first role uh, in truly in tech was as a data analyst. I moved around, uh, worked in different uh, medical areas as data analyst. And then the biggest shift in my career was when Hadoop became the new hotness. Mm. Um, everybody was talking about Hadoop. And the problem with Hadoop was that it was um, it was very complicated for end users. So uh, if you wanted to use Hadoop, you needed to be able to program and, and work on the CLI. And so some of the first software I wrote was around sort of bridging the gap between um, sort of the CLI and sort of that less user-friendly interface um, and making it something that was accessible to uh, non-programming sort of analysts or business users so that they could actually leverage Hadoop. And then again, once I sort of got into that, I was hooked on writing software and I all of a sudden it just sort of opened up all of this opportunity to uh, solve problems by building the solution as opposed to having to buy a solution or find someone that could build the solution. It was just this freedom. Um, and then MailChimp called in late 2017, uh, about six months after I had my daughter. And I picked up my entire family and we moved to Atlanta, Georgia to join their team to help them build out their data strategy. Uh, that team was largely full of software engineers, um, well, full of software engineers. There were three engineers on that team when I arrived. And uh, I scaled that team from about three engineers uh, to, there was four teams by the time I left. And we probably had about 30 um, folks on the team when I had left. Uh, after that, uh, I went to Greenlight Financial Technologies in early 2020, just as COVID hit. So my first day in the office at Greenlight was actually my last day in the office at Greenlight because we went fully remote um, wow. right as the first day I, I onboarded. 
and that was uh, that was challenging for sure because uh, all of my toolkit on how to lead people up to that point was very much sort of predicated on being in the office and building rapport by seeing people and being near them. And suddenly I had this uh, VP of engineering role with a company that had been in the office previously, and they were learning how to be remote. And now I had to learn how to lead people and build trust remotely, uh, all during a pandemic uh, on top of it. So, um, but I grew that team uh, from Gosh, just a maybe 12 people. Um, I ran platform and operations. Uh, I grew them from about 12 to about 50 people in about 18 months. And I, wow. Yeah. Well, that's, that's high growth startup for you. Uh, <laughs> you get the G forces when you're, when you're building that quickly and you get a lot to do. Um, and then I built the data science and analytics organization. Um, for them when I got there as well. And then lastly, uh, in September of 2021, I joined Chipper Cash, where I am now. Um, so yeah, I am VP of Chipper Cash uh, Engineering. And um, I joined really to help the founders scale and mature their entire engineering team. And that is my very uh, winding way through my career in a nutshell. <laughs> that That is actually an extraordinary story. And actually just the last few years, like it's quite clear, like you thrive on that growth piece. I mean, uh, I, I coached many women who enjoy having like that growth, that hyper growth, that is their specialism. But it's a it's a rare thing. Most of us actually don't enjoy doing that in my experience with all the women I've worked with. They'll do it once or twice and they realize it's not their thing because there's so much change management to do with your team to make them feel okay about all this rapid change and progression and just fluctuations in, in operating procedures when you have that level of growth. So you've obviously found, found your thing and uh, just listening to you talk about it is obviously like something that quite lights you up. Yeah, yeah. No, it's you're absolutely spot on. Um, I've worked for very large companies and um, I've worked for very small startups. And really the like I am not sort of your person for a seed stage startup. That is too early for me. And I am definitely uh, I get very bored at very large, stable companies where all the problems are figured out. And so it's really sort of the late stage where there's a lot of problems. There's things that need to be fixed. There's processes that need to be changed. Like there's things around culture that need to be addressed. And that's where, you know, I'm, I'm an engineer because I like to fix things. And I kind of approached leadership the same way. Um, you know, I like to, and I, I tend to look at growing organizations the same way I looked at architecture and systems when I was just an engineer, um, you know, looking at how people relate to each other, how work flows through, how we bring in new hires, all of that, you know, is, is very applicable. Um, a lot of the things that I learned just building good software and good sort of patterns that way is all, is also applicable in, um, in hiring and in, uh, 
you know, growing organizations and, and making sure that you're clearing bottlenecks and um, setting your company up for success. Actually, I, I was just thinking, like, um, I want to talk about two other things mm. you mentioned too, even though this is like derailing. Oh, <laughs> they're so important. I'm like, okay. Um, you also mentioned there that you are an English major. And mm. I just, I wanted to just give you a shout out for mentioning that. I, I want us all to talk about that more. I'm a physicist. Mm. I don't have computer science background, even though I then was working in high performance computing in software for the majority of my technical career. Um, and actually one of my earliest role models early in my career, she was a historian mm. by training who had retrained when she realized there weren't that many historian type roles in the workplace. <laughs> she had gone off and done a boot camp in mainframes um, at that point in her career. And I met her when she was an institute director. Um, very senior in the organization she was in. And I, we need to talk about this more. There is no one way to be a woman in tech. You don't have to have this perfect route through things. So if you are listening to this, I want you to hear, I mean, Erin is extraordinary. I hope just these first few minutes of this episode tell you that. And she doesn't have a computer science degree. My love, if you're hearing this, hear it from us. You don't have to have a perfect set of tick boxes. I cannot tell you that enough. <laughs> Just had to get my bandwagon and say that one there. Yeah. And I would go so far as to say that, um, you know, it's it's great if you have a computer science degree. I'm not telling people not to go to college for computer mm -hmm, science. Absolutely. It's wonderful. But there is a lot of what you do as an engineer is your ability to work with people and mm -hmm. your ability to communicate your ideas effectively. And it's your ability to learn quickly. So, you know, many folks will go to college and they come out and they know how to use Java or Python or uh, whatever they learned. And then they immediately have to learn something brand new because the real world is that technology just moves so quickly. Your, your ability to struggle through and be resilient to all of the change that comes with tech is really what I think is going to be the predictor to whether or not you're successful. Can you fail at something and get up and dust yourself off, learn from it, and then keep going? That is, uh, that I think is what served me the most in my career. Um, not all the classes I, I I took, you know, online classes. I took little boot camps and stuff. And sure, it helped. It helped a bunch. But um, the thing that I think really got me through was was that grit and resilience. And mm. um, and honestly, I think it gave me a different perspective that we need in technology. So I joke with people when I talk about how I scale and hire. I, um, I say that I build my engineering teams like I'm preparing for the zombie apocalypse. And, <laughs> and what I mean by that is you, you don't want your zombie apocalypse team to be 10 people and they all only know how to use chainsaws. Because what mm -hmm. if the zombie around the corner is impervious to chainsaws. I want someone that knows how to use a chainsaw and then I want another person. I want them to know how to use, you know, a bow and arrow. And so I want that diversity makes you, your team more equipped to be resilient as well. 
And Mm -hmm. how you get that is making sure that when you're hiring, you're not just looking for the folks that have graduated from Stanford or Georgia Tech or, um, and you know, it's important to have some of those folks, absolutely. But it's also important to have people with different lived experiences, people with different backgrounds, people that have um, been in different industries because they bring uh, toolkits and toolboxes to solve problems that diversifies your ability to solve things that you haven't even come upon yet. Um, that's just a tangent I, I tend to go off of. So. Uh- I, I applaud you for that tangent. I'm like listening to you and nodding my head and be like, please, everybody hear this. Uh, yeah, we need to recognize this. It isn't diversity isn't just something that we should care about from the point of view of it's the right thing socially. Um, I think that is absolutely true. Don't get me wrong. And if that was all it was, we should still do it. But it actually makes business sense. Like I could spend a whole episode talking about the data on the diversity dividend. Uh, if you want to hear that, let me know, people drop me an email. But like, you know, this is just necessary, as I think Erin is pointing out beautifully here. Like, this is something that is actually setting you up for a zombie apocalypse. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I consider it my competitive advantage. I, you know, I know a lot of CTOs and um, many of them are very stuck on they want to hire only a certain profile of engineer. Um and that's fine. You know, you can do that. And I am going to build my zombie apocalypse team and we're going to roll up on you and mm. and we'll see who wins. Yeah. <laughs> well, given that given the job I have as a coach, I coach both a lot of women who are hiring managers and I coach a lot of women who are looking for their next senior leadership role. And quite a lot of them, it's both. Yeah. And I can say absolutely that the best companies to work for and the best hiring managers to work for are the ones that hire for potential in all its forms potential doesn't mean you've got a Stanford degree (laughs) but potential not having a checkbox of all the essential requirements on the list yeah hands down that is the best place to work and not just best place to work for as as individuals but the best place to work in terms of like what you are going to be able to achieve there like every every single time yeah yeah no I, I completely agree Okay, well, let's get back on track here because we just spend all day talking talking about that. Um, okay, so you mentioned to me that you are now in a place to build and scale this organization. Actually, it's very clear from your history that that's one of the things you, you love to do. What's different this time to previous times though? Why is now the yeah. time to do this particular scaling? And what meant you weren't in this position before? Yeah, so in the past, my roles have been, I've had a piece of engineering. And um, so previously, when I was at Greenlight, I was VP, but I had um, other VP partners. So I had a piece of the engineering organization. um, And so it was very difficult for me to completely sort of bring about the vision I had um, if those leaders didn't agree. And sometimes I did. And, you know, I did, a, I did a lot of really great stuff at Greenlight for sure. Um, I'm very fond of, uh, of the team and uh, still rooting for them, um, even though I've moved on. But the, the thing that has made it very different at Chipper Cash is it's the first time founders have said, okay, Aaron, we're, they put all their chips in on me and said, we we're engineers, so the founders of Chipper Cash, um, they they 
were our engineers. And so they understand a lot of the things that I'm both passionate about and the problems that I've seen. Um, and they, they said, yeah, go for it. You know how to do this. And we believe in you. And they gave me the freedom to start changing the things that I think need to be changed. Um, and that's, you know, I've had little tastes of, um, that freedom, but it was, it was always really hard fought where I really had to prove that I had a plan or prove that something was, um, was going to work. And it would take a really long time to be able to enact that change. And this time they're, they're already bought in. And so, um, we can accelerate a lot faster than I've been able to in the past. And that's super exciting for me. Yeah, I, I'm excited to see where you take Chippecash in the next few years, actually. Uh, well, So one of the things you've also mentioned to me before, uh, which is a little nugget of wisdom or a tactic or toolkit that I, I really want to showcase with the listeners today, is about how you stop things getting under your skin a little bit. You've, you mentioned to me that when you have skeptical people around you, um, or, you know, they don't like what you're doing or something like that, you have this ability to not let it get to you. And I think most of us would love to be able to do that more. So can you give us some examples of how you've done that? Yeah, I, you know, I think part of it's my leadership style in general is I tend to look at what I would consider problematic behavior one way or the other. And and, and problematic behavior can really be many things, but it can also be just sort of reluctance to accept a new idea um, or reluctance to change. And usually that comes from a place of fear. Um, I recently read uh, some of the leadership books by Brene Brown, and I just I loved it. But she talked a little bit about how um, sometimes when you dig underneath the uh, dig underneath sort of that that sort of negative behavior, it's often generated by a fear or an insecurity. And mm -hmm. when you can understand that, that somebody is fearful of something or somebody is insecure or confused, that makes empathizing with them a little bit easier. And I don't, it's, it's not about you at that point. It's not about me. Mm. It's, it's sometimes it's not even about the idea. It's about the fact that you've accidentally touched some trigger that makes them uncomfortable. And that sort of reluctance is how it's manifesting. And in most cases, that's also how I sort of tackle it is I try to figure out what it is that they are afraid of. What is it that they are trying to protect that they're, um, they're feeling vulnerable about? And that's, that's how I tend to approach getting difficult uh, ideas across or through or getting buy-in on it is sort of addressing those sort of underlying fears that they're maybe not saying. And then once you clear those up, uh, often you'll finally see movement on, on those sort of uh, visions and, um, and new ideas that you'd like to move forward with. I, I love that you, you pointed out there that it's quite often it's about their fears and insecurities. I see, I mean, I do a lot of work around imposter syndrome and God, so much of the time when you've got what I would view as very negative behavior in the workplace, 
even in men, which, you know, we often think they're just being, you know, unpleasant men. Actually, I've seen so many times it's about imposter syndrome. That fear piece is so fundamental. And also reminding ourselves it's not about us at that point. If we can step into that brain space of it's not about me, it's about them. I'm the leader here. And that applies to leading our peers, leading our managers, be the leader in the room when the other leaders are not being leaders. (laughs) I, I think that can really help us step away from that that fear and anxiety of like letting it really get under our skin um so that's beautiful thank you so much for sharing that which brings us nicely actually to mindset um what are some of the challenges in particular mindset challenges as well as the opportunities that you see for women right now in the midst of what is a great resignation um that we find ourselves in at this point you know one of the things that i think it's it's a a new sort of challenge during the both the great resignation but the the great resignation and sort of covid seem to be going hand in hand with each other and one of the things i've noticed that sort of affects women more often than men is the work life balance and boundary setting so now that we're all home um women still statistically do more emotional work emotional labor we do more household chores. And now when we're working at home, there's very little separation. So you're more likely to work longer hours because your computer and your workstation is in your home. And then on top of it, you get to also see all the work that is waiting for you in the household. (laughs) Um, You might have children that are in virtual learning. And these are all sort of huge areas that to contend with in our current state of working remotely. And that I think is, uh, it's important to start thinking about how you set up your boundaries. Um, if it, it was always important, but it's really important now to, to reduce the likelihood of your own burnout. And something I've, I've told my direct reports, um, a number of times is that, startups, even well-intentioned, you know, they have a great work-life balance, their culture is great, but but startups have an endless appetite for your time and energy. And you need to be able to set those boundaries to say, okay, there's never going to be, if it's, especially if it's a high growth startup, there's never going to be downtime. Mm. There's never going to be a point where there's not work to do. And you have to be okay with that. You need to be okay to step away and say, "This, I am not going to solve every problem this company has today. And that it's important to think about it as a marathon and not a sprint. Mm-hmm. Because many startups will sort of get you into that sprint mindset. I mean, even when you think about how we build software, we talk about things in terms of sprints. And so it's very, it's very easy to get burned out if you don't have those sort of boundaries to say, okay, I'm stepping away. I'm going to spend time with my family or finding ways to uh, get assistance with, you know, what's going on in your, your home life as well, so that you're not being sort of uh, what I, I tend to say is like uh, thin wonder bread with a frozen butter spread across it, where you're just sort of tearing at the seems that's that's how it feels sometimes so can be yeah that uh i think of when i think of both the great resignation um 
and COVID. And if I were to give anybody advice um, besides just, you know, setting up boundaries, it's to not get, uh, not allow yourself to get too comfortable in just sort of taking the status quo. So right now is the, like, there's never been a better time to do a career transition. Um, the demand for software engineers and not even just software engineers, but engineers in general, like even tech adjacent roles, the demand is so high. And, you know, now is a great time to start thinking about, is this, is this the point where I want to transition and, and do a career move and start, you know, learning how to write software, learning how to be you know, an IT ad- admin or an analyst or any of you know, the roles that are adjacent to just software engineering. It's, it's, it's a great time to do it. The demand is really high and you have the luxury of during the resignation, folks are interested in not just the people that have sort of the perfect checklist of resume, because there's just such a shortage of engineers. And so you can really get your foot in the door mm-hmm. um, at many, many companies that in the past you might not have just even just because of location where now everybody's sort of enabling remote. Um, you don't need to live in Silicon Valley to potentially work for a Silicon Valley company if you wanted to. Such great pieces of advice there, like words of wisdom that I, I just think we all need to be hearing more of. Um, we are running out of time, but I have two quick questions I would love to ask you. Um, what is the worst piece of advice you've ever been given? And what is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Yes. So the worst piece of advice, that's easy. I It's burned in my brain. Um, I had a VP at a former company I worked at sit me down and say, Aaron, you know, you would be way more likable if you would sort of tone down your competence because it really intimidates all the other people. <laughs> um, yeah, I, wow. I, my, my jaw hit the floor. I, I sometimes say I, I could write a book on some of the bizarre things that have happened in my career, but that, that was probably the worst piece of advice and I didn't take it. Um, so <laughs> glad to obviously. hear it. <laughs> and um, the best piece of advice Gosh, uh, probably um, one of my uh, mentors always told me that it's not about um, how perfectly technical you are. You know, technical skills are great. They're wonderful. But in order to be effective in higher levels of leadership, it's about how do you move people how do you and and that can be both emotionally um, as well as sort of tactically how do you communicate in a way that makes your influence more impactful and that sort of struck me because I think early as an engineer I thought everything was on how technically competent I was certainly early on I I felt like I had to prove as a woman in tech um, that I had to be the best and I had to know Mm. everything and then I realized that it wasn't just that it was I, now I, I wanted to focus on how do I make that technical competence? How do I make my knowledge more impactful? And that's through building relationships with people and 
you know, listening to people and taking feedback and, and strategy. Um, yeah. So that was, that was some of the best advice I think I ever had. Oh my gosh. That's incredible. Um, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, let's wrap up with a leadership mindset moment. Um, at the end of every episode, I love to offer a simple mindset tip to help listeners adjust how they act or think on the topic of today's podcast. So as you yourself are an exceptional leader, I'd love for you to offer one highly actual mindset shift. I mean, you've already offered quite a few nuggets, but <laughs> one in particular that stands out that listeners can make to help them level up as leaders. Yeah. So probably to reflect on your patterns from time to time. Have the courage to introspect it and ask hard questions, whether it's your career, whether it's about the meetings you hold, your interview processes, an HR process. What are you doing? Is it serving you well? Are you proud of it? Could it be improved? Change is scary and it's okay to be afraid, you know, to do something different, but we can do hard things. And as leaders of people, we should have the courage to persist anyway. Um, so that I would leave, I would leave folks with that tidbit. Well, that's, that's pu- properly beautiful. Thank you. Okay. How can people connect with you? Because uh, I'm sure lots of people would love to get in contact with you and just have you in their network. Yeah. So my Twitter handle is SQL Supervillain, SQL Supervillain on Twitter. And uh, on LinkedIn, I'm Aaron Fizarro. Uh, yeah, I, I invite folks to connect, to send me a message, to, uh, you know, I, I love the social networks. So, um, feel free. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. And you're also in the leading women in tech Slack community, I think, aren't you? Yes. Yes, I am. Excellent. Which we're going to be growing this year, everybody. So make sure if you're not already in that community, make sure you head over to the leading women in Slack tech community. All those links are in the show notes, both to connect with Erin directly and the Slack community. And have you any final thoughts you would like to share, Erin? Uh, yeah. Well, two things. One, I'm hiring. So if you thought that, um, you know, you liked my brand of crazy, uh, feel free to reach out because we are hiring and don't forget to be kind to yourself. You know, we're two years into this pandemic and most leaders I know, um, are spending a lot of time taking care of the people around them. And we sometimes forget about ourselves. So set a good example by practicing your own self-care as well. Thank you so much. That is a wonderful way to wrap up this episode. You have been a fabulous guest, Erin. We could have chatted all day long. (laughs) Um, I can't wait to have you back on the show at some point in the future. But thank you so much for sharing your words of wisdom today. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Oh, wasn't that a great interview with Erin? I love the fact that she's upfront about the fact she's an English major and yet she's got all the way to VPE and she's probably not done yet. She didn't say that on the show, but I'm pretty sure she's not done yet. Uh, I hope today's episode was inspiring for you as it it was for me. And if you love that whole um, hyper growth stage startup, I think Erin is just such a great role model for that. She's obviously got it in her thing. She built both MailChimp, Greenlight, and now she's doing a chip of cash. She's like taking them through like high scalability. Um, so if that's your thing, make sure you do connect with her. And as I said, she's also in leading women in tech. Um, if you love today's episode, please do share it with your with your friends, with your connections. Let's get leading women in tech out there this year. Let's change the world, right? One leadership moment at a time. That's what we're here for. Let's make it better. As we head into 2022, that's really change leadership this year. 
And remember, if you are ready to up-level your leadership, then that also starts with executive presence. And this month really does seem to be executive presence month. So head on over to tonycollis.com forward slash shop to get your hands on that executive presence training that is the one tool you need to up-level your leadership this year. Until next time, stay on your tech leadership game, follow your dreams, because the world really does need that uniqueness that you bring as a leading woman in tech. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, check out how to get more of my help and some free resources. It's where I take what I talk about in this podcast and really help you apply it. Hop on over to tonycollis.com and check out Work With Tony and free resources in the menu bar. Until next time, this was Tony Collis on the Leading Woman in Tech podcast.